Hey guys, I wanted to tell you about two opportunities I'm really excited about. The first is my Podcast Creation Masterclass 2.0, where I will be taking you through the full details of how you can start your own podcast for the new year. Learn how I went from recording on an iPhone and having zero experience in the podcasting world to getting on great guests like Grant Cardone, Jesse Itzler, Angela Duckworth, Jay Papasan, and many more. If you want details, email my team at info at success101podcast.com. And the other opportunity is to snag a copy of my book, From Success to Significance. Guys, this is a manual that's going to set the course for your entire year. You're going to learn six vision-building activities that are going to blow your mind. Also, there's a ton in there about time blocking, mapping out your day, setting your vision statement and legacy statements, and there is no better way to start off your year than to diving into these exercises that have been created. So for the Podcast Creation Masterclass 2.0 that's coming up soon, or to snag a copy of my book, email my team, info at success101podcast, and get yours today. New concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Success 101 Podcast. What's going on, dude? Week's been good. We're getting really close to the baby coming. Yep. About a week out. Maybe two weeks if, if we're lucky. Yeah. Hey, I've got a fun story for you and the listeners. My wife and I went and got a Christmas tree this weekend. And we... Tis the season. Yeah, we, we went to Lowe's, which I don't even know why we went to Lowe's. That's not near as fun as going to a tree farm. Yeah, you know, when I think of Christmas trees, I don't think about going to Lowe's. Not Lowe's, not Lowe's at all. <laughs> so I'm in the parking lot. We're walking into uh, the Lowe's from the garden section. And all of a sudden, I, I overhear these screeching tires. Um, and then I hear some shouts. And so... My wife hates this about me, but I am always the guy that's trying to break up the fight, right? I, I have no dog in the fight, but I'm still trying to break it up. So my eyes are peeled. I'm like, you know, ready to roll, trying to figure out, you know, who's getting beat up. I look up. This guy is underneath the back of this red pickup truck. Well, come to find out he had gotten run over by this pickup truck. And so he runs out from underneath the truck and jumps into the driver's seat. And I'm thinking that he's like fighting this person. He jumps into the driver's seat, pushes the girl out of the way that was in the driver's seat, and then takes off. And I'm like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> I have no idea where you're going. So, so a recap. Like so, so a recap. I look up. I hear screeching tires. Uh, somebody is underneath the back of a pickup truck. He'd just gotten run over. I hear shouting. I see him get out from underneath the pickup truck, jump into the driver's seat, and then peel off. Well, come to find out, they were stealing a barbecue pit. Oh, my god! <laughs> and the, the girl that was driving the getaway car obviously got nervous, and she hit the gas too hard and ran them over. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> Isn't that the, incredible? The, the dumb criminals, uh, the, the videos on those are like the best thing. Yeah, I asked Lowe's, I was like, can we get the video feed on that? That would be a, a YouTube gold mine. And they're like, yeah, we got to look into it. It ties in a lot, I think, just that 
that idea, maybe a little directly or indirectly, depending on how you're looking at it, to just your overall mindset, your overall thought, just how people react. And it just goes back a lot to willpower and, uh, and, and how you act in a situation. Stealing a barbecue pit, running somebody over, <laughs> right? I mean, those people, they probably plan that out. I don't know, maybe not long, maybe a while, whatever, but it's just, it goes back to how your brain thinks. And I think willpower and how we act in a very tense situation or how we act over a long period of time can be very interesting as to how we get into work or how we get into our trade or our craft or whatever. Probably two years ago, I thought I owed it to myself to come home and just chill out. You know, I'd been high stressed all day. I had acted crazy, not stealing barbecue pits and running people over, right? <laughs> but just kind of acting out of my element in high stress of the day. And so when you get home, you want it to be calm and you want it to be peaceful and you want to chill out in front of the TV. Mm. And I thought that would help me. I thought that would help reduce my stress. I thought that would, you know, I just, and I would tell my wife, I'm like, I just need this right now. I just need 30 minutes just to chill. And I would say, you know, can, can we just go on a walk in a little while? But right now I've got to sit here in front of the TV. And so there's this great book out there by Roy Baumeister called Willpower. I don't know if you've ever checked it out or not, but there's been a ton of articles written about it. And, um, you know, I've bought into this idea and, and I say bought into, because I don't know where I am on this, on the fence yet with this. I bought into this idea so long ago that willpower was finite. You hear a lot of psychologists saying that. You hear a lot of business coaches saying that. You hear a lot of people just in the the just the high stress community saying willpower is finite. We've got to make sure that we watch what we're spending time on. And if we can get the most important things done during the day when we're not tired, we're not high stress, we're not cranky, we're probably going to be a lot better at getting those things done. So go pop in Netflix and just chill out, you know, whatever. What I was actually doing, I realized, is I was actually sitting there, not chilling out, staring like a zombie at the TV, and then just realizing that everything that I was stressed about, I was just sitting there still stewing on it. Which is just festering inside of you. That was an hour that you could have just been maybe preparing your day for the next morning, right? Yeah. Or, or, or just really spending time with your wife and, and kind of taking a break from it, right? Yeah, so, so what I really should have been doing is, if I really needed to chill out, I should have gone into another room where it was quiet and just sat there in peace and quiet and just breathed. And Do you do that? Uh, not nearly as much as I should. I'm a believer of it now. I used to think that stuff was like hocus pocus and, you know, go breathe and de-stress. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Does your Apple Watch tell you to breathe regularly? It does. Mine does too. I love that I feature. Understand. And stand, That's great. Stand, but I've got a standing desk, so it doesn't tell me that as much, you know, nowadays. So, but this this whole idea, as you read into it, and some of you out there have probably read that book, Willpower, it's this idea called ego depletion. I didn't know that there was a name for it, but it's ego depletion. And basically the theory is that your willpower is connected to a very limited reserve of mental energy. Once we run out of that energy, we're more likely to lose self-control, whether that's overeating whether that's wanting to veg out, whether that's snapping at people, whether that's just making irrational decisions, it doesn't matter. I mean, that seems, you know, you read that and you're like, that yeah, makes sense. But it would just seem to perfectly identify why sometimes when we're not in our element of just peace and calm, we react differently than what we would have. But there's a ton of studies now, and I've picked up more on this over the past six to nine months or so as I'm hearing more and more podcasts, audiobooks, different things. There's more studies coming out that we've got willpower completely wrong. And so when I first heard this, I was like, okay, this is just somebody trying to get in the spotlight, right? This is somebody trying to go against what is rational to where they can put out all these studies and get their name yeah. out there. The more I hear about it, though, the more I'm going, okay, maybe the whole whatever's rational and sounds right isn't actually how our brain works. Okay. Explain that. 
So, so there's these studies that are coming out right now where ego depletion, which just says that I don't have to be high strung, I don't have to be the king of the mountain, I don't have to be accomplishing and conquering, I'm just going to go chill out for a while. So there was this study that was done a long time ago with Baumeister. I'll, I'll make a long story short, but basically they put two uh, groups of highly active, you know, real driven people in a room. One group was told they could only eat this plate of radishes. The other group had hot cookies out there. On, well, nobody wants to go eat the radishes, right? Yeah. But they're watching all these other people eat the cookies. And, what, and the thought was is that their willpower, by having to not get to go over there and eat those cookies, even though they wanted to, that their willpower would be depleted and then they couldn't perform as well. So they put this puzzle in front of them after that, and it was made to where it could not physically be completed, but you would think it could. Okay. You didn't realize until the very end of it that it's just physically impossible. The group that had, that had depleted their willpower they felt like they would give up faster on that puzzle. Hold on. So the people that didn't get to eat the cookies? Right. Okay. They thought they'd, they'd give up sooner. Yeah, because they were told, do not go eat those cookies. Okay. You, you can't go eat those. You've got a plate of radishes here, but you, you watch all the other people eat cookies. Okay. So their thought was, when we put this complex puzzle in front of them, both groups are going to quit at some point because you can't solve it. Yep. But the group that has depleted their willpower, those guys are going to quit a lot faster. And that's exactly what happened. Really? And so there was tons of research papers, thousands of research papers written on this. And people put other people through very similar tests to try to multiply the data. And it worked. And so they said, yeah, willpower is finite. That was like 30, 30 years ago. Okay. So more and more studies are coming out now saying, though, that the data that was set up, Yes, even though that worked in that one situation, in real life, when our brain's taken on a thousand different things, that that's not exactly how it always works. And so actually, Carol Dweck, who uh, I love her work on the book Mindset, either you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. So she came out with this new work recently that was uh, published, and she said that the signs of ego depletion were observed only in test subjects who believed that willpower was a limited resource. And those, persist- those participants who didn't see willpower as finite, they didn't show signs of this ego depletion. So in other words, if you really feel like willpower is finite, then when something hard comes your way, especially at the end of the day, it gives you an excuse. It gives you an out. So we've got a lot of people taking outs out there in our society. Absolutely. Some people take outs by 9 a.m. I don't even know if they know about this whole willpower and <laughs> ego depletion thing. Probably not, but it serves poorly for our society to think that willpower is finite you know, if, if ego depletion is essentially caused by self-defeating thoughts, then you have to wonder if we can overturn this, if we can reverse this um, in the coaching community, in the performance community, if we can reverse this, how much better is it going to make our society? How much better is it going to make us personally as highly active people who want to accomplish much every single day? If I get into a hard situation and I'm thinking, well, my willpower is defeated it gives you a reason to give into your habit, your bad habits. It gives you a reason to quit when mm-hmm. things get hard. And so I just thought this was really interesting. And I would just frame this to the listeners out there. How are you taking on the day? How are you going out there and accomplishing much? Or are you? Are you giving up when things get a little bit hard? Whether you've heard about these research studies or not, I'm sure you've all heard of willpower, right? That's not a, that's not a new thing. But how are you taking on the day? And if you're giving up, when things get a little bit tough or when you get hungry or when you get tired or when you just get a little mentally fatigued, I challenge you to flip that starting right now. Because again, you can be a victim in a moment or you can be the victor in the moment. And our brains are very powerful. They can either take us down the road of victim or they can empower us to be the victor even at the end of a busy day. Yeah, agreed. I'd be curious to know if willpower is at its peak, like during the hours of maybe say between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. What I know is that when I wake up in the morning, 
I am dead dog tired until I've been up for about two hours. Like my brain just doesn't operate the way it should until I've been up and moving and operating for about two hours. And then at night, you know, after working eight, 10 hours a day, same kind of deal, right? You want to unload, you want to relax, you want to unwind. Curious to know if there's like a sweet spot for most people. During these hours, I have the most energy, I have the most willpower. We can cram as much stuff as we possibly can between yeah. 10.30 and 1.30 or, or whatever those hours are. I, w- I would say it's earlier. I don't have anything in front of me to back that up, but I've seen plenty of things on that that basically say that your morning hours, like in the morning before lunch, is when your willpower is the highest. So do you day. think that's a personality type, though? Or do you think that's... Let me just clarify. There are people that are definitely morning people and then people that are absolutely night owls. Do you think that the night owls still would be more effective before lunch? If, let's just say, they're both required to be at work at 8 a.m., so they both get up at 6, kind of out of the house at 7.15, they're at the office at 8. Do you think that they're both going to perform more effectively in the mornings before 11 a.m.? I think so, and here's why. Even if you consider yourself a night owl, I know for me, I tend to stay up a little bit later sometimes than I should. You know, trying to work on getting more sleep over the last year has helped me with that. Picture it this way. I get up in the morning and I'm not a quote unquote morning person, right? So I'm groggy. I'm wiping my eyes. I get to work at 8 a.m. to use your example. I'm probably not at the peak right then. Yep. Give me a little bit of time, especially if I'm getting into creative work, let's say around 10 a.m. when I'm a little bit more rocking on all cylinders, right? Because I'm up and I'm awake and I've got the day going. Yep. It's before I get hungry for lunch. It's before I get tired again in the afternoon or have some sort of a crash. But it's also before the peak of the night comes again. But when the peak of the night comes, I know for me, I've probably dealt with so much stuff during the day that my mindset is probably not in the best place as it was when my day first started and I was starting with a clean slate. That makes sense. Even if you're coming back and tackling hard things from the day before, whether you're a morning person or not, I would argue that a night's sleep, you know, time heals a lot of things, right? So if I leave really upset about something the day before or really stressed about some work I didn't get done, 10 a.m. the next day, 9 a.m., whenever I start up on everything, I'm probably not as... I'm just not clenching my teeth as much having to go back into that. Yeah, because you've won, you've won or lost so many battles by 2 p.m. Yeah, and I think people, I think there's plenty of research out there for those of you out there in sales or entrepreneurs running your own business where you're having to get on the phone with people and really fight and drum up business. There's plenty of research out there that shows that from about 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., people are best and more able to receive phone calls in a favorable way. If I try to call someone at 9 a.m. before their day gets going, you know, they may not want what I'm promoting, or they may not really want to talk to me in that moment, but I've got a greater shot of landing that meeting than if I call that same person at 2.30 and they've been dealing with a bunch of fires that day, or they got in a fight with their wife, or you know, whatever the thing is. So those of you out there who are dialing early in the morning, you're going to have a better shot at filling up your calendar or whatever it is you're fighting for than you will later in the afternoon. That's awesome. You know, it's funny. I am definitely, I'd call myself a night owl. I start my day early typically. But that's by design, not by default. I have to force myself. But I do find that in the afternoons, I am rolling. Like by by 2 p.m., I could take on the whole entire world. And that's where my peak levels of energy, at least it seems like like they are. You need to go take my good friend, Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor out in L.A. He and I had a great podcast together. I got to catch up with him at the uh, Bulletproof Conference, actually, out in California. Nice. He's got a chronotype test that tells what type of personality you are, and it ranks it compared with animals. So it's a bear, a dolphin, a lion, and something else. I can't remember. Most people out there are bears, where they're not necessarily night owls, but they're not really just 
jumping out of bed doing you know squats in the morning yeah. either like ready yeah. to roll it's somewhere right kind of in the middle okay i'd be curious to know what your chronotype is so go to the power of when w-h-e-n the power of win.com you can go over there and take his chronotype test and then go check out my episode with him it was 117 i believe or something like that on the success 101 podcast go check that out that's awesome I'll definitely so, do that. But this whole idea of ego depletion, just to kind of wrap it up here, is I think it just satisfies a need to justify why we sometimes do things we know we shouldn't, such as slacking off at work when we should be finishing a project. And so if there's more research that comes out about this that lets us know that our brain really doesn't work that way in real life, I think it's going to empower more of us to go, you know what, I've got one less excuse now, and a really big one, a really big important one. I've got one less excuse now to not get stuff done, and that is by feeling sorry for myself or feeling like I have an excuse to justify ditching this work or overeating or not going to work out today because I've had a hard day, get over it. Yeah. Because really your brain doesn't work that way, more studies are showing. It's very interesting to find that out. That makes me think of this book that a coach at the office, business coach at the office who um, has passed around a book by Earl Nightingale. Have you heard the the strangest secret? Have you read the strangest secret? I've heard a lot of people talk about it. I have. It's definitely one that's on my list, and I, you know, it's like where does it fall into line with everything else that I'm going to read out there or do? But yeah, it's definitely well known in uh, in the business world, especially. It's got to be eighty years old. I mean, I don't know when it was written. I would guess. Yeah, it's old. Thirties or forties. Old school for sure. I got a ton out of this book, just like more than I even expected to get out of it. One of the big mantras of this book is. You are the sum of your total thoughts. Yeah. It's pretty fundamental, right? And what we think about all day is essentially what we become. He basically, he gives the analogy. Absolutely true. Yeah. You reap what you sow. So he gives the analogy of a farmer who basically, he has a field. It's a blank field. The field doesn't care what you plant. You could plant corn or you could plant poison. During the harvest, the field is going to return tenfold of whatever you planted. And your brain is, is a field, it's an empty slate, and you're going to plant either, you know, what you want, or you're going to plant negative thoughts. And your brain is going to grow that stuff. You know, it's either going to be something that you want it to be growing, or it's going to be poison, right? And so his big thing is, we've got to figure out what it is you really want out of life. You need to be looking at it every day. It needs to be something that does not conflict with the other things that you want out of life. And then you got to get all the negative thoughts out of your brain, which is tough to do. Yeah, yeah. It's easier to have negative thoughts. It's easier to think negatively than it is to, to have positive reinforcing thoughts. Yeah. And I, I have no idea why our brain works that way, but I'm 100% on board. And getting rid of all your negative thoughts, I think, is impossible. I mean, I get what you're saying whenever you said that, but it's impossible to do because we're just wired we're not necessarily wired that way, but I think our, our society around us and just, I don't know if it's just the selfish it's, people. It's the herd mentality. Yeah. It's so easy to look at things that are negative. It's easy to complain instead of praise. Yep. It really harms us in our success in business as well. Have you been, I'm sure you've been through the exercise of what do you want? What do you really want? What do you really, really want? Yep. What do you really, really, really want? Yep. Which I always think about the Spice Girls whenever I hear that. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. But his his whole mantra, though, is if there's a goal that you want, goal X, Y, Z, I have got to achieve this this year. You need to be looking at it every day. It, write it down. Put it right in front of your face. Every single day you need to be looking at it. But the second thing that he said I think is equally as important and equally as powerful. It cannot be something that conflicts with your other goals and your other dreams and your other aspirations. Right. 
if you say, well, you know, I really want to play football in the NFL as a child, but that's not your only goal. You might have 30 other things that take you away from that, that don't allow for you to achieve that. So, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. Dak Prescott, quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, said as a child that he was going to be the QB for the Dallas Cowboys when he grows up. Did he also say they would be 11 and one? He didn't say that. In December. But the crazy thing is he's, he's been saying that his whole life. And I would be willing to guess that there wasn't a whole lot of other goals that Dak had in the way of becoming the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. He put all of his time and all of his energy as a child, as a young adult, to becoming the best quarterback that he could possibly be. I mean, not a whole lot of guys that I like better than Dak Prescott right now. Yeah, I think uh, the only thing I think would make this whole thing better is if Jimmy Johnson was there. I think they'd be, uh, I think they'd be 14-0, and even though they've only played 12 games. <laughs> How about them Cowboys? <laughs> hey, so, so let's explore that for a second, Jordan, because I said when I was 10 years old, I wrote it in a book, Rare Air, Michael Jordan book that I kept underneath my mattress because I didn't want it. You said you were going to play basketball? I wrote it in there. I will be in the NBA, and I put my name beneath it. It wasn't even a signature. I just printed my name because I didn't know what signature <laughs> I will be in the NBA, Jared. Okay, I'm not in the NBA, obviously. Yep. I think that there is some... Your your aspirations and your goals have to align with what you are inherently good at. I don't. I mean, were you a good basketball player? I did start as a freshman on the varsity team in high school. My boy. Yeah, but I mean, we had a like a, a blinking red light and a Dairy Queen in our you, town, so there. You guys were class C. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of competition around, so I think anybody could have gone out there and. That's great. <laughs> done that. That's great. I had some handles on me. I could shoot a three. That's Not awesome. Anymore. It all goes out the window. It's down the toilet now. Hey, let's play after this. Now let's, <laughs> let's pretend like we did. Yeah, no, I think that there's definitely some truth to you have to be. It helps if you are built for whatever it is that you want to achieve. I am definitely designed to do my job. My brain operates in uh, a way that caters to doing my job well, um, just naturally kind of operates that way. So. I do think that there's definitely some truth to you being built for whatever career you're trying to pursue. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of truth to whatever it is that we're trying to get to. We're going to be at peak levels if we are laser focused and we get the negative crap out of our heads and we're looking at what we really want every day. And it's not just what we kind of want. It is what we absolutely are married to accomplish. Yeah, which does evolve over time. Absolutely. I think to summarize, we really are the the sum of of our thoughts. You got to take your thoughts captive. I mean, you have to know on a daily basis, what are you trying to accomplish? And anything that stands in the way that's a negative, oh my gosh, I can't do this, or this is fear. We got to get fear out of our mindset. Yeah, it's garbage. Yeah, it's garbage. I struggle with that. I really do. Because, you know, we, we got this baby on the way. It's like, oh my gosh, this is uncharted territory. And really... I need to just be saying, hey, I'm going to be the best dad on the planet, and I'm going to take this thing head on and get all the fear of the unknowns out of my brain. Uh, yeah, I did, a, uh, I did a podcast on that at one point. It may have been Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, where I said uh, the, the data in there, and I, I think I'll get it pretty close here. I don't have it right in front of me, but it was 90, and it was a really high number. It was like 85 to 90% of people polled who spent time worrying about an event or things coming up in their life. For some of them, they knew something a little intimidating was on the horizon. For some of them, it was something that came later, you know, that they didn't see coming. 85 to 90%, though, somewhere in that range, said that the thing they were worried about never ended up being nearly even half as bad as what they could have imagined after they got on the other side of it. 
you know, what what Van Wilder say, worrying's like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. That's real life. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. And man, I, you know, you can only cover so much in a podcast episode here, but that's something that just hits home with me because for so much of my life, I was extremely negative and pessimistic and I didn't even realize it. It wasn't until I started coaching other advisors and hearing, you know, you praise them or congratulate them on something. And it's always, yeah, but here's what I'm worried about. Yeah, but here's where my business is. Yeah. But, and I realized, hey, man, that had been me for so long. Yep. So there's some of you out there listening to this. I want to put out a real challenge to you today. If many people, not even many, if a few people in your life, but if they've ever said, man, you seem really negative and you've had to defend that. Or if someone has just kind of looked at you like you're sucking the energy out of them whenever they come and tell you certain things, you're probably a lot further down that scale of believing just negative things in your mind than you even realize. And so I would tell you right now, I don't care what age you are. I don't care if you're 22 or if you're 52 or 62. There's a lot of life for most of you out there left to live, whoever's listening in. You've got to get that stuff out of your mind because you're not getting any younger and you're probably making people a little bit miserable around you. I could just go off on this subject, actually, because it hits really close to home for me because I live so much of my life just extremely pessimistic and negative. Didn't realize how I was affecting those around me, but more so didn't realize how I was sabotaging my own life and my own career. It it, it takes years off of you. Oh, yeah. It, your body gets inflamed on the inside dealing with all this anxiety and stress. And for me, I wasn't an extremely anxious person. In fact, I, I prided myself on feeling like I was pretty strong on handling stress and just bottling it up and moving on. But there's this underlying disruption that's happening in your, I mean, even down to your cellular level. I mean, it's, it's amazing, but so much in your brain, mindset-wise and physically, you are actually killing yourself slowly over time, and it will absolutely harm you and the relationships around you. Well, and do you think some of that maybe even stems from sort of a forced quote unquote humility where somebody gives you a compliment like, man, you've been crushing it in business this year. I want to be like you. And then you go, yeah, but it's, you know, it's still not enough or it's still not. It, it could be. I thought that's what it was. Really? Yeah. When people would say things like, man, you, you're real negative. I just came to tell you congratulations on something. I would either do one of two things. I would either defend it and say, well, no, man, I'm just being a realist. And then they yeah. say, well, that's like a closet pessimist. And I'm like, get out of here with that stuff. That's, <laughs> that's so phony. But it's true, I've realized. Or if it's somebody I was really close with and I knew I could level with them, I would kind of feel like I was being humble in that moment and say, yeah, man, I, tr and the truth is it's really hard for me to take compliments, which it is. Yeah. But what that does is it kind of offends the other person as well. Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn how to take compliments. A simple thank you and a smile typically just solves it right then. But it could be one of those two things. It could be that you are truly pessimistic and negative and you can't see the good that people are trying to point out because you don't believe in yourself. Or it could be this feeling that, man, I just don't really know how to take compliments. But that doesn't mean you have to fire back a negative. Oh, yeah. I, I have thought a, that's what I, it was, but I was fooling myself. It, it truly was that I was just negative. I was just a really negative person. Yeah, I've got a habit of that. Instead of just saying, yes, thank you so much, it's often, yeah, but it's... It's really been a tough year in this category, right? That's yeah. How about just take the compliment and move on? It'd be yeah. better for your brain power. It's it's better for the the person giving the compliment. You know, it makes me think of how we learn because, like I said, I didn't start really noticing that about myself. And many of you out there may be the same way until you got into a leadership role or until you really started handling more responsibilities and started seeing things, whether it's negativity of people, whether it's the actions of people and how they are motivated or demotivated. Just name it something with your kids, something with your family, 
many times we don't realize what we're doing ourselves until we are the teacher. Yeah. Until I started coaching advisors and realizing how negative they were and realizing the issues they dealt with every day, I was no longer looking at myself from the inside and justifying everything. I was looking at them now seeing myself in their actions, and it made me change really quickly. So I read a while back about this learning pyramid that basically helps you to retain more of what you consume. Have you heard any studies on that before? I wanted to share with the listeners whenever you brought that up, because I think it's really profound. We all skim life, I would say. We skim through Facebook feeds. We skim through Twitter. We skim through photo albums. We skim through, I skim through audiobooks. I skim through podcasts. I put everything on one and a half or two times speed. It drives my wife nuts. She's like, (laughs) you're not retaining anything. I'm like, yeah, but what I am retaining, I can finish eight books where I wouldn't have picked up that one. But the truth is, what am, yeah. I, what am I really retaining? So this learning pyramid, it's pretty interesting. When you consume in a passive way by skimming and moving on to the next thing, what psychologists and research would tell you is that you're at a huge learning disadvantage, not really even in that moment, but you're setting neural pathways in your brain that make you want to skim through everything. I turn wow. on a YouTube video now on your phone. If you turn on a YouTube video, you can't speed it up. If you go online to YouTube.com and watch something, you can put it on two times speed, one and a half times speed. So I'm always on my phone now trying to hurry up and get through a video. I'm trying to hurry up. Why? Because I've been doing that with podcasts, audiobooks, whatever. And I think there's benefit to it. There really is. Most podcasts I listen to, I'm not trying to get a deep level of learning. I'm just trying to hear what their message is. Yep. So I think it could go either way. But the learning pyramid goes like this. And, and I'd encourage you guys to look up some stuff out there on it once you hear this. Learning pyramid states this. 90% of what people learn, they learn it when they teach it to someone else or they use it immediately. Wow. That's 90%. so true. 90%. I heard a bit of advice one time, and this will be good for you guys out there in business or giving presentations. It said that anytime you're in a presentation, get up. If there's a whiteboard in the room, get up, grab a marker, and draw something. Doesn't matter. Whether you draw stick figures, whether you draw little shapes that no one else can tell but you what it is, and you're giving some meaning behind it with your commentary, psychologists would tell you that when people are observing you standing up in a room and writing something down, their brain subconsciously perceives that you automatically know way more than they do. Wow. Even if it's a subject that someone else walks into the room knowing more than you and thinking they know more than you, you all of a sudden get yourself on the same level with them the more you write down on the whiteboard and the more you dialogue with them about it as you're writing it down. That's incredible. It's pretty awesome. So 90% of what people learn, they teach someone else or they use immediately. So here's this pyramid. It's going down almost like a funnel. 75% of what they learn, they learn it when they practice what they learned. of what they learn when engaged in a group discussion. So you're only retaining about half of what you're learning in a group discussion. That shocks me. Yeah. So many times my professors in college told me, do not study in a group setting because I know it feels good and you feel some energy and power there and you feel like you're bouncing ideas off each other. You're way less likely to retain what's actually being said. 30% of what they learn, they retain when they see a demonstration. 20% of what you learn from audio visual. 10% of what they learn, they retain when they've learned from actually reading it. 5% when you've just heard a lecture and then you move on. Wow. So I'll recap those again. 90% when when you're teaching someone else or you're using something immediately and frequently. 75% of retention when you learn something and then you practice it. 50% of retention when engaged in a group discussion. 30% of retention when you see a demonstration. 20% from audiovisual. 10% from just reading something and only 5% when you have heard a lecture. So to that, you hear a lecture, only 5% of that's going to be retained. However, 
you go and teach that lecture an hour later or teach the ideas, some of the concepts, you should, in theory, retain 90% of, of what you learned in that lecture, right? You should. And I would also add another line here is it's got to be something that really convicts you or you're passionate about. Yep. I can hear a lot of boring stuff and I can retain it if I go use it immediately, but I'm not going to keep applying it to my life. You know, people see people out there on Snapchat or Instagram, especially us as guys, you know, if, if they're not building a brand or if they're not really promoting anything out there, I mean, I, I totally get it. I, I wouldn't understand why a business professional would be on Snapchat if he's not promoting something. It, it seems a little silly, right? Yep. The whole reason that people who are in the know, guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, guys that are big time investors out there on social media platforms and always get out ahead of the curve. When everyone else says it's silly, it's never going to work, they're investing millions into it. It's because of this idea right here. If you have a following on Facebook, okay, so I've got almost 5,000 connections on Facebook, okay, but those people are probably skimming through anything I throw out there just like they're skimming through everything else. Yep. You could have 100 people look at something you put out on Snapchat. And you feel like, man, I don't have as many followers. But those people who looked at both Snapchat and Instagram, for some reason, the brain, well, with Snapchat, the brain has to actually watch the video. Okay, so it's more quality. Okay. On Instagram, you're pausing a little more to see what each individual unique picture looks like. And you yep. kind of have to hunt. You kind of scroll down and hunt a little bit for the comments. So all those of you out there trying to build a brand, Snapchat and Instagram, where it's at, I'll tell you right now, Twitter will be gone. I don't, I don't want to say soon. I don't want to be that bold about it. But Twitter is really teetering right now. It's kind of just made a matchsticks, to be honest. And people are going to hear this and say I'm crazy because they use Twitter every day. I'm telling you, it's going to be gone before long. Periscope will be gone. Those things will be gone because everything's trending back over to what people thought was silly, which is the things people actually spend the most time on. So I think the whole point on that that I was trying to get to is that being in the moment, and plenty of research will tell you this, being in the moment just decreases the noise in your brain. So if you're trying to really focus on something, don't do it in a group. Don't do it where you're highly distracted. Don't do it in a way that you're just skimming and flipping through things because you may not think anything about it in the moment. Let's say you're just chilling out on the couch, flipping through Facebook. What you're doing is you're training your brain. You're setting new you're deepening those grooves of those neural pathways that you set to teach yourself that everything has to be so fast, so high paced. Most of the really successful people out there that you and I would model, would want to model and follow are spending lots of think time. I heard a stat the other day, Warren Buffett said over his entire career, he has probably spent 80% of his time thinking about things and 20% of the time working and executing on things. Wow. That's powerful. It's just amazing. So I would tell you guys, being in the moment, decreases the noise in your brain and that's going to lead to improved scores on your working memory and your intelligence and lead to higher levels of peak performance which is what we're trying to get all of our listeners to raise the bar on man that's incredible so thanks so much for joining us here today guys as always if you want to write into us it's info at success 101 podcast i'm very excited that i'm putting out podcast creation Masterclass 2.0 really soon i'm excited to get that out to you guys to teach you guys how to build your own podcast, how I went from literally recording in an iPhone with zero experience on how to do podcasting to getting great guests on like Angela Duckworth, Grant Cardone, Steve Weatherford, Jesse Itzler, Andy Nilo. I could go on and on and more and more to come. Also, if you would like a copy of my book, reach out as well on any of my social media platforms. That's at Success 101 Podcast on Facebook, at Success 101 Podcast on Instagram, or again, info at success101podcast if you want to email us. I'm Jared Warren. He is Jordan Earls. Go check him out on Facebook or LinkedIn. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. <laughs>